How do we navigate the messy middle of recovery? Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with real recovery. navigate the messy middle of recovery all right before we get to that we have a review here and this is from master of disaster no more um, of the name uh, yeah it says i appreciate how this podcast is open honest authentic and talks about real issues people face with practical advice and attainable results i learn so much from every podcast every week and working with tyler has been even more helpful in person brandon is no less serviceable and is equally qualified. I know that these men truly care about making a positive impact in our lives and are motivated to help us learn the truth and and be free. If you are feeling stuck, start listening to what catches your interest and you will feel the difference. Thank you for your dedication. That's really kind. That was an awesome review. I joke with Tyler that you got super fans out there. And, and you, oh, you do. Brandon's no less serviceable. That's- I'm no less yeah. serviceable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah. We we have a few people that that, that like us. Be that's nice to know and hear. Don't let it while. get to your head. Yeah, exactly. Tyler. Exactly. Stay humble, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, Brandon, I'm excited today. We've got a really good topic with really good guests today. We've got um, Scott and Melissa are back with us. This is the third time that one or both of them have been on the show. And one of the reasons why I'm excited about this is because I think for our listeners who have been listening to all of our episodes, we want to show the process of what recovery looks like. And so to have Scott and Melissa come back on for a third time at a different place in their recovery than maybe they were in the other two episodes. Uh, I think it's be really helpful for our listeners and, and we do have a really good topic today as well. So, um, so Scott, Melissa, welcome back. Thank hey. you. Do you want to introduce yourselves a little bit? Or? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, I'm Melissa and I'm married to a pornography addict. And I'm Scott, and I'm married to a woman who's married to a pornography addict. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so just just a little a little background. How long have you guys been at this in terms of how long have you been married, and how long have you been working the recovery process? So I'll, I guess I'll just do a super brief kind of recap on my story. I've been kind of just running away from this pornography addiction, calling it like a bad habit, my kind of my whole life. Um, when Melissa and I were dating, she'd asked me if I'd ever experienced anything in pornography. And I was like, yeah, I had, but I figured I didn't have to go into any details. So we just left it at that. Um, I figured at that time that marriage was going to kind of solve the problem. So I wasn't really worried about it. And then um, about a year and a half into our marriage, there was like my first big relapse. And then I would kind of tell her about it and then be like, okay, we're done. Like, I'm not going to do it again. Let's forget about it. And then you know, trying to just run away from it still. And, um, you know, you never guess what that didn't work. And so we ended up in this kind of like year and a half to two year relapse cycle to where, which when you really break down, like, I don't know, Brandon called it like half or like just 
you know, where you really started to slip, like, I don't, it's hard for me to even define how, how far that cycle really was, but we were just kind of in this cycle where I do good for a while. And then I'd like confess and we'd be like, okay, it's done. Let's not talk about it. And then it would, you know, a couple of years later happen again. And, uh, you know, after three or four times through the cycle, we just couldn't do it anymore. And then, um, where like something's really got to change or else this just isn't going to work for us anymore. And then uh, I started, Melissa actually went to a spousal support meeting for the first time. And then, which gave me the courage to go to start attending yeah. 12 Well, for me, it was a little bit more confusing because Scott would come forward and then it was just kind of like, oh, he's telling the truth. He's being honest, but he never really was because mm -hmm. Um, you just tell a little bit. And so I thought from my perspective that it was just a lapse of judgment where actually it was like habitual and he'd been acting out for months or years at a time before he actually told me um, about um, when we were expecting like our second baby, he told me. And then a couple of days later, we miscarried that baby. Oh. And after that, he kind of took that, that loss and he put it upon himself. And so after that, he was like, I'm never doing this again. And then he did. And then to him, he was like, I'm just never going to tell her anymore. And that's when the extreme gaslighting happened because I would see flags, but I always thought Scott was honest before because I'd ask him. And so I started asking him every once in a while because I felt something was up. And then he kind of would just gaslight me and tell me that, that he was doing well, whereas he actually wasn't. Yeah, at that point, I was kind of willing to take it to the grave because of you know what happened and like <clears throat> I know it's not at all for sure that that was the cause you know and like it probably wasn't but you know like in my head it was just like yeah like this is what happens you know and so <clears throat> yeah that was a really tough time and so after that I I had kind of thought you know like rather than going through the cycle of like what I saw it as was like I feel like I, I tell her I feel like crap for a year I do good for a bit and then I screw up again and it just goes over and over you know and I was like I might as well just do as best I can and just keep it to myself and just save her the the pain and that's kind of what I told myself but really it was probably came back to the pride of me not really wanting to admit that I had an addiction yeah and I don't know for me when he finally disclosed like the whole shebang, like D-Day and told everything from the beginning, that was just kind of like a, a nuclear bomb in our marriage. We had been married about seven years and it just kind of felt like for me that our entire marriage and life together was a lie. That the man that I had thought I married with all those qualities and those traits didn't exist. And it kind of felt like I was grieving that person Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was kind of dying too, because I was suffering from panic attacks and nightmares and I was having insomnia and intrusive thoughts of what Scott had been doing our entire marriage. And I, it was really scary. I wasn't sure if I was going to be okay. I wasn't sure if we were going to be okay. And then we found your podcast and through so many of your support. Groups. Yeah. Through support groups. I found your podcasts and I found, we did quite a few of your um, first courses. I did the, the shattering, the, what, how to help her heal after shattering her heart. That was mm -hmm. like a little one. And that's where I really started to begin to understand what I'd done to her being that person that shoved her off the cliff. And then it's like, Hey, you want help? You know, 
phone. It's like, well, you just pushed me off a cliff, mm -hmm. you know? And that's when I really started to kind of see like, oh, this is what I did to her. And that's when I started to learn about betrayal trauma. And then we started doing the other course. Um, what was it's it? Shattered to Thriving. Shattered to Thriving. And um, yeah, I just learned so much from that one. The biggest thing that's really helped me is, as Tyler mentioned, just the ridiculous patience, you know? And, uh, you know, I'd spent all this time acting out, but then I kind of expected her to just be okay, you know, even though now she's dealing with all these years that I was feeling like crap. Now I'm feeling better, but now I got to be there for her. Yeah. So we've been, since D-Day, it's been about a year and a half and we're still going through the trenches of the trauma, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yep. Yeah. And so things are, things are getting better and we're trying to embrace that this is our story and this is just the beginning, but it's, it, we're still in the trenches. You know, I, as you guys are sharing your story, I just, I think so many people will relate to kind of that, that cycle of pain and broken trust and just feeling stuck um, in it uh, where the acting out happens, the, the secrecy happens, the hopelessness happens, the broken trust happens over and over and over again and almost becomes unbearable. And it's interesting kind of, I, I, it's so good for me to hear that you got stuff out of the, the programs and courses because I don't get tons of feedback from that and it's good to know it's helping people. But it, uh, re recovery almost requires this paradigm shift, um, this, this whole new way of thinking a, l a little bit, mm -hmm. rather than going into that cycle of, of like white knuckle sobriety and, and uh, disclosure, telling on yourself to your spouse and hiding things like that doesn't work. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it sounds like you got some good education. You shifted that paradigm a year and a half ago. Um, things have shifted, yet you're still in the throes of it, right? Yeah. Um, and and I like what do we call it? Middle recovery, like navigating. Messy middle, I think. The messy middle is what you guys were calling the it. Messy middle. That's, uh, I think we got that from Jeff Stewart. I think he calls it that. But yeah. So 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 describe the messy middle. Like what. It, what are some of the struggles, the challenges, the, the things coming up now that, now that you're kind of beyond that paradigm shift, you feel like you have the right tools and understanding of recovery. What does the messy middle look like? So I'll kind of contrast it with a little bit of what I used to do before I was in recovery. So say like, cause Melissa still is getting the same triggers and everything, but I, we weren't dealing with them like, like what they were. And so let's say like we were doing something and something triggers Melissa and uh, she's like, I can't believe you did that. You know, I can't believe, you know, she just kind of is reliving it. And before I was in recovery, I'd be like, Hey, like, what's your deal? Like I'm trying to do better and you're just dragging me through the mud. Like this isn't helpful. And I would manipulate her so that I could feel more comfortable because I was uncomfortable with, with the way that she was feeling. And so now we, you know, trigger comes up and, and, uh, you know, we, we, we deal with it and I give her some space and then I, I try to slowly just kind of come close to her and just on her terms, just kind of work a little bit closer until, and most of the times we end up very close at the end of the night. But, um, you know, I, I gotta say, I expected it to be like, 
you know, after six months, you, you know, you're going to be doing really good and we are doing really good, but sometimes, sometimes it's weekly, sometimes it's monthly that, you know, a trigger will come and we'll just have a really tough night, you know, she'll be right back in it. And, you know, and so like, I just keep thinking of like that, that patience and, and doing my part. Um, I feel like before I was in recovery, I never did any restitution, you know, I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I, I told the truth. We're done, you know, but every time I'm able to be there for her in those hard times, I, I feel like that's restitution. Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful book called Courageous Love by Stephanie Carney. And we actually went through that book together and it was really eye-opening because she talks so much about betrayal trauma and she talks about like the roller coaster of going from one extreme to the other thinking like, oh, optimism, this is good. We can conquer this. We'll get through it. And then the next moment they're in the gutter thinking like all is lost and we can't get better. And like for that, that was reassuring for me because that's, that's what I, that's what I go through. I go through pits of despair and hopelessness. And then I hit that, well, we can overcome this. We're, we can do this. Look at all the things we're doing. And then all of a sudden I'm back in the pit. And I just kind of bring them down back in with me. It's so. like in the same conversation too. I'm like, okay, we're getting through this trigger. You know, she's optimistic. She's like, okay, this is something that's really like brought us to God and everything. And then like two seconds later, she's like, this sucks. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but when you expect it, then it's, it's not as hard to deal with when you, yeah. Yeah. Embracing that it's normal. Mm-hmm. It, it seems, it seems that with that, you know, when you get, when you're in the early stages, there's a couple of things that are different than when you get to the kind of the stage you guys are at now. And it sounds like you're doing the right kind of work, even though it's still hard work at the beginning, because of the nature of trauma and because of the fact that, you know, Scott, you've been so used to hiding things and living from a point of shame being the biggest motivator that instantly unravels any bids for connection or, or sound attachment with each other. Because if your wife comes to you and she's triggered, it's not like you're going to go and focus on her pain and her triggers. You're focused on self-preservation and not letting your shame be seen. Mm -hmm. And, and something shifted in you. It sounds like through some painful experience, you know, there's, you guys been through some pain together, something caused a shift to where it's now you're able to see, okay, my wife is having a trigger. I do have my own shame still that I've got to deal with, but I'm going to set that aside for a second. And I'm going to try to attend to, to her instead. And Melissa, it sounds like you're also going, okay, I do have these triggers that happen. And in the past it would have been like, boom, like, this is scary. I don't know what's going to happen. Like you got to fix this. And now it's more like, ouch, like this really hurts. I am going to, I am going to approach a conversation with my husband and with the hopes that it'll be received and then back, we can have a back and forth. So so as you guys have gotten through the initial sort of self-centered self-preservation stage, you're now moving into a place where you're starting to see one another, even though the pain is still there. Tyler, the, I, I really want to flush this out a little bit because it's so, so important. Um, there's a nugget here of, of truth that's, that's so important, but there's this conundrum in, in, in recovery that happens, which is if I'm, if I'm struggling with sex addiction, in, some, in many ways, I'm using women for my self-worth and trying to get that for my self-worth. Um, and then what do you know? I feel b- horrible about myself because I'm hiding things and all that shame's there. 
Um, and then I get busted or I disclose everything to my spouse who gets hurt, which drives home how horrible I am, what a monster I am and how awful I am. And then she has emotions and she has triggers throughout her day. And I'm supposed to be boundaried and not take that personally, right? So, so I'm in this shame storm, this whole system that's saying you get your worth from women, um, you you are bad you hurt your spouse and in that moment when melissa's triggered the way that i build trust is by not being overly attached to her knowing that my noble worth is there regardless of her knowing that my masculinity is there and therefore she can have her pain and i have the strength to be able to to sit in that and go there with her and that's really the shift for a couple that, that happens, but it's really hard for, for the person struggling with addiction to, to separate um, their worth and their identity from, from their spouse. And from the pain they've caused. Mm-hmm. And from the pain they've caused. Is that, Scott, is that? Yeah, that's like, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I find more often than not, I'm able to stick around now. Um, yeah, there, there's lots, there's times where, where I end up losing it and I'm like, yeah, I, I just suck, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I think what really helped two things that really helped me with that one, um, some people find the, the label of addict, um, I don't know, degrading and not helpful. I, on the other hand, found it extremely helpful because it's what connected all the dots for me. It's like, why am I doing this to my spouse? I love her. You know, and as soon as I'm like, oh, I'm, I have an addiction, then it was kind of like all the puzzle pieces were in, I could see the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, that label was actually extremely, well, it's not flattering, but it was uh, <laughs> not what I wanted to be when I grew up. But um, it was extremely helpful for me to, to come to that realization. And another thing. But Scott, but, I could, I, Scott, let me cut you off real quick. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing you say is that because you are able to own your addiction, you are able to separate yourself from your addiction. Yeah. So you're able to say, that's my addiction. And then there's me. Mm-hmm. And I do these things and all of these things because I've struggled with addiction. And I think that's really important to be able to, to gain that separation a little bit. Yeah. I think the other um, way that that is really good, Melissa actually in her group, they talked about a lesson where they actually put a chair in the middle of the room. They're like, this chair is your husband's addiction. And so visually kind of being able to separate them. And we've, uh, we've kind of, we refer to the chair sometimes Mm -hmm. and um, 12 step group really helped me with this too, because like I walked in, I don't know what I was expecting to see because I was super judgmental towards 12 step groups. Uh, I feel awful about it, <laughs> but I don't know what I was willing to, what I was expecting to see. But when I walked in, sat down and there's just all these great guys that are just talking about the gospel and like just really awesome people that I would like, that I look up to, you know? And uh, I think seeing them and being like, okay, if they're still, good people, that means that I can still be a good person, even though I have this addiction. So that 12 step group was really big in my life for being able to. And it, I just, I, I've been attending the, the ARP group through, through the church is the, the 12 step one that, that I've been going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of going back to Scott's first point, like 
um, when we recognized that it was an addiction, it was, it kind of allowed us to have like a common enemy that we were able to come together on and be like, okay, well, it's something to do with the brain. So how can we outthink and outwit the brain, you know, and kind of looking at it that way. And we watched um, one of Tyler's um, courses on Love Strong uh, talking about like how addiction is um, like pathways in your brain and that it builds deep canals. And so deep ruts. Yeah, deep ruts. And every time you go to that behavior, it kind of makes the ruts deeper and deeper. And so we had to, especially at the beginning, we really like fortified our home and tried to make it as like trigger free for Scott. And like even we even use like algorithms for our benefit right? Like when advertisements would come up on the computer, we'd watch tons of like Tide or, you know, <laughs> just because then we'd be fed those same yeah. ones over and over. And so we just used the computer for, for our benefit. You were and, buying a lot of laundry detergent. Well, well, you know, <laughs> if, they, like, if an ad pops up and it's like laundry detergent or something yeah. just random, we'll, we'll let it play through. Well, and so they're like, okay, we'll push some more ads like this. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good for, idea. For me, it was triggering just having ads at all. Right. Yeah. Cause everything's so sexualized. Mm -hmm. And so I just click it, exit, exit, exit. But then I was like, wait a second, I can use this. I can constantly feed my computer things that are safe just so that when we're using the computer, the likelihood is even lower. And um, what kind of like helped us too is we just happened to move to a new house and it was like a completely new slate. There was no like behavioral patterns for him to go and act out in certain places that he used to. There was no like, you know, the TV and everything was in a completely different place. So it like removed all of my triggers. And it was just really, really refreshing. And it was just kind of, we experienced in the scriptures, they talk about a rebirth, right? And like, what I think is also kind of forgotten about is like to have a rebirth, you have to experience a death. And that's what we did. And we just kind of, with the new house and the new environment, everything was fresh. Everything was new. Love it. Yeah. I know not everyone can go buy a new house when they go through <laughs> recovery, but if you have the chance, it's a really good idea. <laughs> Um, all right. I want to, can I shift gears just a little bit? Yeah. I, I love this, the stuff you just listed off, but back to the messy middle, mm -hmm. messy middle. I'm wondering for you guys, what's messy right now? Messy. What, what are some struggles? Um, what are, what are some I things? Gotta say, over this summer, what's been messy is, um, going to pools, you know? Um, for me, sometimes I'm just like, oh man, like, like, is it just, is it even worth it? Like, let's just not go to pools anymore. <laughs> you know, I don't care. And, but um, it really is, it's an opportunity for both for me to, you know, desensify um, some of my triggers and also for Melissa, you know? And so it's like, it's work going to a pool. Like it's uh, for both of us. And, um, but we know that if we, if we keep doing things like that, that, and keep practicing our, you know, our, I don't know, our, our fire drills or whatever you want to call them, just uh, the things that we're trying to work on. I know that it's going to get, or I have faith that it's going to be, I don't know, but I have faith that it's going to get a little bit easier and that those will be not as intense, those triggers. And uh, yeah, that's one thing that has been hard this summer. Yeah, I feel like, like I'm doing, I'm in the process of doing EMDR for my like trauma. But I find when my trauma hits, I'm like, got hit by a train, 
and all of a sudden like my self-defense mechanisms go in play and who's the person that I feel threatened by him right mm -hmm. and so like that's hard because I'm I'm trying to manage I know my brain's trying to figure out is he a safe person is he a not safe person and so like I try to in sometimes I find myself pushing him away or even like trying to battle against degrading him like I know everything that I feel in those moments towards him like all those negative things he's already told himself those things a million times over right and so like that's really hard um for me to like process through my trauma I like to go by myself and I just ball and you know mm -hmm. And for like, especially at the beginning, that's when the, the panic attacks would hit me. And I'd kind of almost shame myself for feeling those extreme feelings. Mm. But now I'm trying to embrace that. Are those desensitizing as you're doing EMDR and like, yeah. is it getting better? Oh yeah, it's a million yeah. times better. Good. Yeah, it, it is, it's changing so much. And I, I feel like with EMDR, it's one of those things that can be easily passed off of like oh this is just time and time's healing but I know it's not mm -hmm. I I feel like especially for me because I didn't have many um many people to talk to to have someone go through those dark places with me has been like immeasurable mm -hmm. um I think uh Another thing with me with the messy middle is like kind of the, I don't know, I would be stuck in kind of a, a pride cycle almost before that as soon as I got a little bit of a sobriety under my belt, I'd be like, okay, like, like, I know we can't just like delete everything electronic out of our lives, but all of a sudden I would think like, oh, I can, I can handle having, you know, this app on my phone or, or, you know, being on the internet when Melissa's not here, you know, and um, with I, over a year and a half of sobriety under my belt now it is tempting to, in times to be like oh no I can I can do this but then like we do have those those um baselines. baselines still that like I don't go on the internet when Melissa's not home when I go I have a shop attached to my house that I work in and when I'm the only one there um, I don't take my phone with me, you know, or if Melissa's not awake, you know, because she's very vulnerable when she's sleeping. And that was a vulnerable time for me to, to act out is when I was up early and she was still asleep. And so there's still those safeguards that we might never take down because, you know, I don't want to find out what's on the other side of them. And so, but before, as soon as I got a little bit of sobriety, I'd be like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. And so I think part of like this messy middle that we're going through is continuing and like some of those can ease back a little bit, but making sure that you're continuing to keep yourself safe and that you're remembering that you still are an addict to pornography. So, yeah. So Scott um, and Melissa, a couple, couple of thoughts. First one to what you're saying, Scott, I think that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is part of what the messy middle entails is, and you referenced your bottom line's changing. You also reference going to the pool. Um, the difference between the beginning and the messy middle is, is that the beginning, both parties are kind of ready to just shut everything down. It's like, we're going to squeeze out all sexuality out of everything. Like, 
you know, and when you finally start to get your feet planted and that trauma response starts to be subsided and you can ground yourself better and you start to work on actually realizing that the way to long-term recovery isn't by just starving yourself, but it's by actually learning to trust yourself. Um, then you start stepping into those places and there is work at the pool and there's work at discussing whether or not your bottom lines need to stay in place, but there's hopefully a heart that says, we're doing this as practice and we're moving forward. Um, and then, and then the second part that I wanted to just mention, Melissa, to what you're saying, I, I'm wondering, because you're doing all the right work individually, like you're doing your own, I can hear it in you. Like, you know, I can hear the way you're talking, the way you're thinking, your approach to things, you're doing all the right stuff individually. I'm wondering when you have those moments where maybe you do get blindsided by your trauma or something comes up, relationally speaking, is there a difference in the building or not building of trust in the response you get from Scott? And what's the response that helps the most since he's the one you're saying, I don't know if I can trust this guy or not. Yeah. So um, a long time ago, when before Scott was like working recovery, um, like when he would finally come forward with a little bit of truth, it, it would hit me a lot. And um there was many times where it was late at night and it, I would be affected and I'd be emotional and he would kind of be like, well, I have work in the morning. Sorry. Like, you know, and he would just kind of leave me by myself. And, and it was very confusing because the, the people I had turned to was kind of like, well, he's a, a changed man like he's telling you the truth so you, you you should trust him and so I had a hard time seeing like the 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 kind of emotional abuse that was taking place and I know that for him he was just avoiding right and and so now like when I'm upset and I'm hit like one time and it was in the car all of a sudden he just looked at me and it was from a song and he looked at me and he just like, kind of like I was driving, I should say, but um, he kind of just stopped whatever he was doing and he turned his whole body towards me and he was just like, are you okay? And um, that's something he didn't used to do. He, he would kind of, you know, kind of push away, but he just like walks into it. And when I'm like in my trauma um, now, um, he just kind of waits it out. Sometimes I don't want him around me and he'll just patiently wait. And there's many times that I come back into our room and he's just praying. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, there's nothing else I can do. And I just want you to know I'm here for you. And that was totally different because the person that he used to be would just kind of go to bed. And now he's just like, I'll stay up all night. And I know you don't want me here, but I'm still here. I'm just outside the door, you know? Mm, and so that's yeah. been very different. And um, a little while ago, so um, Scott got a smoker and- you Like know, a pellet grill. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So he like, we're having guests over for dinner. And so he had to get up at like, I don't know, like three in the morning, like who wants to do that, but go for it. It's a man and, thing, it's and masculine. So, yeah, I woke up and he wasn't in bed. And that was sometimes when he would act out was early in the morning and I thought he was at work. And, and so I woke up and he wasn't beside me. And I was like, oh my goodness, where did he go? You know, and I'm like, well, 
what do I do? Cause you know, and so I was just playing it in my head and I'm like, oh, he's just in the bathroom. And I like kind of glance, I'm like, he's not in the bathroom. Where, where could he be? You know, cause I totally forgot that's what his plans were. And then I went down to find him and I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm just getting this meat ready for, for the, to smoke it. And, you know, and I was like, oh, I, I was really worried that you were acting out. And he was like, oh, that's so nice. You were worried about me. <laughs> and I was just like, what are you talking about? I was worried about me. But, um, <laughs> or before I'd be like, really? Like, yeah, he would be very defensive and be like, what? You don't think I'm trustworthy. You don't think I'm doing good things. Right. Whereas before he was just like, thank you. Thank you for, for being brave enough to come and see what I was doing. And so that's been really different. And I feel like the more experiences we have of those trust, um, trusting components, the more that I, the more secure I'm feeling in our attachment relationship. I love that you're sharing those examples because they're good for, for other people to hear. And, you know, they say with midlife crisis, people like, like men, they either go off the deep end and do all kinds of crazy stuff or they start smoking meat. So <laughs> I'm there already. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're there. Um, I I, uh, I want to just talk about uh, you guys. This this messy middle is is a really good kind of description of where you're at. Um, I do think there's some some steps forward for you guys to feel even more a sense of serenity and peace and safety. Um, it, with each other, deeper levels of intimacy. Um, but um, can I just mention one other thing that's been really hard for me before? Sure. You know? um, another thing that I've really had a hard time with that I'm getting a lot better at is actually initiating um, sex. Mm -hmm. And um, for a while, I was just like, you know, like sexual anorexia might be my thing. You know, I was just I was so petrified of coming on to Melissa that I was going to either trigger her or that she would shut me down. And I didn't have like the, the self-confidence to deal with that. And so I would just not, you know, and then it's like, okay, if she comes on to me, well, you know, and, uh, but like being able to actually like, I don't know, come on to Melissa and her say like, oh, I'm not really feeling it right now. And just being okay with that and not manipulating her into like, oh, well, you know, like, I really feel like I really need it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I used to manipulate her a lot that way to get what I, what I wanted. There, there's a common theme between all of, all of these things that we're talking about. Um, you holding space for her, even just praying in the other room is holding space for her. Um, you being more willing to initiate sex and intimacy. The common theme is, is your, fortitude to be a vulnerable human being and being resilient to your shame so that you can attach in, in a healthy way to another to another human your wife right and and so i hear that you're kind of in the throes of it um you're learning how to do it it's right? tough like being vulnerable especially when you've spent your life running away from it it's it's hard yeah, but but as you do it more and more, it it really gets easier. It's it easier to be a, a vulnerable human. Uh, um, so what I was saying is there are levels of recovery ahead of you that um, are available. However, it's going to take some um, courage 
in order to step into those levels of recovery. Um, the, the, the messy middle or even baseline recovery at first is just about stopping the behavior. It's about like stopping the, the damage being done. Um, but, and Tyler was alluding to this earlier, <clears throat> real recovery has, has everything to do with um, radical acceptance of self and connection to God's self and others. And, and with that, that means radical acceptance of your sexuality, um, like owning who you are, loving who you are, not being afraid of, of your sexuality, not having to use force and control in order to, to avoid it because it's going to hurt you, right? Um, but you can see how scary that can be when in the past it feels like that's done so much damage and hurt both of you. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah Tyler, oh, go ahead, Scott. It's definitely scary for us. Um, yeah. In a way, it's, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if this analogy will fit or not, but this is what I'm thinking as you're talking. Is It's almost like this, the messy middle is this transition place where things start to flip around upside down and it feels scary because the things that you learn to be safe are now the things that you're being taught to, like, start to let go of and, and you know, stop. It's like I'm a fisherman. And if you understand how like lakes up here work is they, in the summertime, they get hot and they get hot on the top and cold on the bottom. And then at a certain point it starts to get cold. And then actually the water completely turns over and the warm water ends up being at the bottom and the cold water is at the top where the, where the ice is. And in a sense, that's sort of what happens in recovery where you're like tight, 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 you know, a funnel comes down and you're like, live this way, live this way, live this way. Don't lust. Don't do this. Don't get, don't have trauma responses. Then all of a sudden you hit this point and couples always hit this point. And they go, this is scary. Like I know we're in recovery. Like I'm not afraid of acting out. I pretty much know that my husband's not acting out, but I'm still scared sometimes. And then the answer is open it up, open up vulnerability, open up discussion, have real conversation about the fact that you just went to the pool and both saw a woman who was beautiful and you're trying to manage that, you know, open it back up. And that's scary. You're right. It's exactly the case, but Brandon's spot on here. That is the way into a long-term healthy relationship, which is what you guys want. If you're going to stay together, like you can, you can, you can limp along for the next 20 years, not acting out and holding on to each other, a, a sliver of each other and saying, okay, I've got a partner that I can kind of trust once in a while, or you can take the risk and start stepping into those places. And it is messy. Because, yeah. because vulnerability by nature is messy. I, I agree with you, Tyler. Like um, <clears throat> one of the things too that I've noticed is like when, you know, those triggers happen or those beautiful people that walk by, like um, I'm looking at Scott's intention before he would never tell me and talk to me about those things. But we went for a hike and there just happened to be a beach on part of it. And we brought our paddle boards to do after. And so we did our hike and then um, we were friends and they're like, do you want a paddleboard here? And I just turned to Scott and Scott's like, well, let's look for somewhere less crowded. And then when we hopped in the vehicle, he was like, yeah, there was just a few people on the beach and I don't wanna surround myself with them because I don't feel like I'm quite ready. And it was just really, it was, it was kind of a blow first but then mm -hmm. I'm like looking at Scott's intentions I'm like years ago he would never tell me that 
And so it's just like, I'm seeing that I'm the priority, that our relationship is the priority, that he was willing to talk to me about it and that we could manage it together rather than him just not saying anything. And we did find another beach. Yeah, and, and we did. Really nice. And we found a place that we were both comfortable, right? But getting to that, that so so that's kind of like, I'm going to be honest that I'm triggered, right? I'm going to be, but getting to that higher level of recovery, it's, it's kind of paradoxical because it, it feels a little bit backwards. Like Tyler was talking about, it flips on its head. Is getting to a place of there's those girls over there paddle, paddle boarding and they're wearing bikinis and I am attracted to them. They're beautiful. I'm sexually attracted to them. That's okay. And for you, Melissa, to, to get to that place of that's okay that he is. I know this sounds crazy. <laughs> Brandon, you're, you're going to blow up our feed right now. <laughs> that, that's okay that he is, but there's this trust element. Of yeah. You can have your sexuality. You can be sexually attracted to them. You're committed to me. You're not going to hurt me. You're not going to go sleep with them. Yeah. Um, embrace your sexuality. That's okay. But you're not going to go masturbate later today because we, we paddleboarded next to these girls. Um, and, and so there's that, when I talk about radical acceptance of, of sexuality and self, like it's, it's like if you look around your room right now and try not to notice everything that's black. Yeah. What are yeah. you doing? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like the don't, like, don't think about the yellow school yeah. bus kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And so, so when, when you get in that fear and control phase of sobriety, you're, you're, you're almost in a way shooting yourself in the foot, trying to control yourself, not to be a sexual human being. And you're constantly, um, almost obsessing about being a sexual human being, right? As a, as opposed to accepting that there's black in the room and that's okay. And you, you'll see it and you'll see the white and you'll see the gray and everything else. Right. Um, yeah. And so can I jump in? Yeah. I'll I feel, after. thank you. Um, like, you know, embracing sexuality, right. I think that's so essential. Um, for me, like, I think the the big point for myself personally is knowing like, it's one thing for Scott to be attracted to another woman. It's a whole nother for him to be acting out in his head. And so I don't want to go to places where I'm trying to reinforce, like, I'm safe here. I'm safe at this pool. I'm safe around these women when he's acting out in his head, you know? And so it's just like that communication where, you know, either he's like, because there are times where we're somewhere and he's like, I'm grounded, Melissa, I'm okay. You know, and then, so I'm just like, okay, we can be here. And I'm telling myself, I'm safe. I'm safe. There's mm -hmm. people here, but I'm safe. And then him being brave enough, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm grounded, but I'm, I'm a little wavery. Can we, can we go somewhere else? Like that whole builds a whole level, another level of trust. And it's teaching my brain and myself that he's safe. And he's going to tell me when things need to be changed. Mm -hmm. So for me, this is a really, this is like kind of um, uncharted territory, I'd say for my brain, because my whole life, it was just like, oh, there's a beautiful woman, a woman there. And my brain would just, you know, down and check them out. And so in, until you sang a hymn, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden we're singing hymns. I'm thinking beautiful women. <laughs> but um, so then, uh, yeah, that was kind of like the, the just don't think about it, don't think about it thing. And so now I'm in this state where I'm trying to like, like I'm, I'm at that beach and then it's like, okay, like those women are there. I'm attracted to them. 
but it's like they're so obnoxiously dressed right now I'm having a hard time not dividing that person into parts and for me like I've I've had a really hard time finding where that line is until I found that and it's like when I can see that person be like okay that person's a beautiful person I'm like okay like that's that's okay to to recognize that but as soon as my brain starts like cutting that individual into parts but like oh look at this part of her that part you know I'm like okay that's when now she's not a human now she's just you know my brain trying to objectify, to objectify them mm-hmm. you know and so it's like if I feel like I can be there with those beautiful women in the background and it's like okay I can just recognize that they're there and that's it but as soon as I feel like my brain is trying to like part them out then that's when I'm like, you know what, like right now, right here, I'm just, I'm, it's, I'm having a hard time. So let's go somewhere where there's still going to be people there. But it's not going to be quite as intense. I want, I want to illustrate a point that you guys are demonstrating right now. I mean, we're using the example of going to the beach or the pool or whatever, but to me, it's the process that you guys are playing out right now. That's the most important thing for people to see is that I wish people could view what just happened between you guys too, where Scott, you're in a spot now with your own self-confidence and with your own trust in Melissa, which by the way, we never talk about, but you need to learn to trust your wife too, that you can speak what you just spoke. And Melissa, you just got done saying it actually, even though it's hard for me to hear and it's a blow, sometimes it builds trust when I know that he's being proactive and willing to speak where things are at right now. And, and it's the building of trust a little at a time that allows you to step more fully into that messy middle this is the messy middle it's it's being but, able but, to, but, to hold that space but tyler side but tyler i know we're running out of time trust is not built built by tattletaling on yourself no that's but not trust, what scott's doing though trust is built by rigorous honesty yes um, and, and and well i think you got to really look at that like i i will be accountable i will own my own personal recovery proactively um not not to tattletale on myself because then you're still turning to Melissa for your self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that undermines recovery and actual building trust because you're going to show up weak if you're always tattletaling on yourself to her. Um, and, 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 and that can look like honesty, right? Um, but there's, yeah, Brennan, di- Brennan, explain the difference because this is a really good point you're making because there, there, one's going to help and one's going to hurt. Yeah. 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 So, so if I'm, if I'm going to tattletale on myself, I'm actually self-serving. I'm in my shame saying I need to get something off my chest because I feel bad about me versus authenticity as, as a man is, is saying, you know, like I will enjoy the day much more over on this other beach um, because I won't be so focused on all the, all, all the triggers and stuff over there. So like, let's go to the other beach. I'm good with that. Right. And Melissa might say, why? And you'll say, well, you know, there's, there's some triggers over there. Let's just go over here. Right. Um, and so do do you see how you're kind of stepping up and saying, this is, this is me, this is where I'm at versus, versus, Hey, Melissa, I want to tell you that I'm triggered and show you how awesome I am that I'm going to this other. You beat. trust me now. You tr- <laughs> that's a manipulative play to look like an honest man. Yeah. And you'll never build trust that way. They, they're very close to each other. Yeah. They look, they look the same, but mm-hmm. really it's your intention behind it. That's yeah. either going to build trust with her and, and really uh, with you build that confidence and masculinity inside of you. And so, um, well, I'll say too that between 
me losing a lot of the shame that I have in between Melissa showing up for me that it has built a lot of trust that I have in Melissa because when it comes down to it not of her fault at all the reason you don't tell somebody is because you you don't trust that they'll love you anymore and that's mostly because of shame and so by losing a lot of the shame that I've had it's allowed me to trust Melissa a lot more yeah and feel safety there um we want to we got to wrap up but there's an analogy I'm thinking of I, I love talking about all aspects of recovery and that we're talking about the messy middle people kind of get it wrong um, in some ways in that recovery, when we talk about recovery, um, think about it like you're on a ship in the, in the Caribbean, right? And you, you land on some islands that are beautiful and amazing. And the next thing you know, you're like floating out in the sea and there's a storm that comes and there's massive waves and, and there's beautiful sunsets and, you know, there, there's a hole in your ship. The point is this recovery is like real solid recovery is about navigation. It's about knowing that life's going to come at you. There's going to be the sunsets. There's going to be the beautiful islands that you land on. And there's going to be the storms and the problems. Um, recovery is not about getting to that island and laying on the beach for the rest of your life with no storms at all. Um, so this, this messy middle I hate to tell you guys is kind of recovery in a lot, in a lot of ways. It's life. The middle and the end. Yeah. You just get better at it. You just get better at better at navigating. Right. I got to throw in there too, that we love what Ashlyn says about the Buffalo. We talk about yeah. being a Buffalo all the time. Yep. No, step in the storm. Yeah. Face it. So well, you, you guys, thank you so much for your willingness to come on. For those who are listening to this episode, Scott and Melissa have also been on a couple of other times and mm -hmm. you can go back and find those episodes. We'd love having you on. We'd love to keep tabs with you guys and maybe bring you on again in the future just to kind of show what the process is looking like for you if, if you'd be willing to do that as yeah, well we'd, we'd love to before we came on we looked up our old podcast just so that we could mention it so it'd be easier for your viewers you know so um the very first time that we were on was september 14th and that was in 2020 and so that's season two episode 18 and nice. then the last time i was on and i was talking about my sexual trauma mm -hmm. and that's on february 8th 2021 season three episode five and so before um we say bye to you guys i just wanted to mention something um so for a long time when i looked back on our story it was so dark and um i had a hard time seeing god there for me and just this last while where we've been working through recovery i've realized that god was there the whole time and that he was backstage and he was with wonderful people like you guys doing the research and building the tools and so i just wanted to express my gratitude and to say thank you for showing me that god truly cared about me and so thank you thanks melissa Wow. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thank, guys. thank we, you guys so much. We can't thank you guys enough for how you've helped us in our relationship. Well, you guys are giving back now as well. And just, just letting people see uh, your story and your progress. Uh, I know that so many people listening are going to relate to so much of what we talked about today. So 
I appreciate your courage and, and your willingness to step into this as well. So now you're a part of the solution. It's awesome. Yeah. So step forward. <laughs> yeah. All right, you guys, if you liked this episode, you think it'll be helpful for somebody, then don't be shy to share it. Um, spread the message of recovery. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.